Another thought is that almost every nation in the world has a rule about killing people. You know, it's like one of those basic human things we know is wrong. And so when someone kills, we all think there's better be a pretty good reason, you know, and there's all kinds of explanations of when it's justifiable or not. But it's interesting, if you look at it, there's, there's a lot of horrors in their world with murder. And for me, it's a little bit more. But then I started thinking, what about murder in a more symbolic way? Wouldn't murder sort of be wanting to hurt other people or see them hurt? You know, I wouldn't actually send you to the guillotine, but I might think that if you bullied me that I wanted revenge and I'd smear your reputation or I'd, you know, I'd do something else hurtful. And, it, you know, Wesley had a rule, and I think Preston's going to be t- preaching on it. One of his rules for life was do no harm. And it occurs to me that killing doesn't have to be like physically killing as much as wanting to see somebody hurt or punished. You know, do you ever just kind of get excited when somebody gets punished for what they did because they sort of deserved it? That ought to be a little warning sign in there that maybe you're being a little judgmental. I mean, yes, some people deserve it, but do you really want to see them punished and us go free? You know, it's like, are you not worthy of punishment at times in your life? And so we have these like kind of confusing rules about what's okay and what's not. But what us Christian people do is we think ugly, vengeful thoughts, but don't actually do it. So then it's not really murder, is it? But we certainly doing them harm and want to do them harm and even want to see them suffer. I've actually had the experience in the last year of wanting to see someone hurt. And that's just not normal for me. You know, it's like I, I actually would beat this person up if I could. You know, it's like that's a strange feeling for me. Has anybody else ever you know, been bullied and you felt like you really need to get, go punch the guy out? And everybody looks at me like, no, we never think violent thoughts. Well, you girls can do it without being violent. You can do it by smearing each other or backbiting or hurting. And guys can do that too. Didn't mean to say just you girls. But it's like there's a lot of little subtle ways of hurting. So anyway, I look at that verse and I, I picked Second uh, Timothy chapter 4 and kind of went a, a funny way on this. Let me, let me say the, the background. This week I was reading an article and I love to, to read the news. They found a uh, graveyard in Sugar, Sugar Land. And it's a really fascinating to me because they found 95 graves never marked at all, and not even really called a cemetery where there used to be a prison. And it turns out in the 1800s that if they wanted you to be a slave, they could trump up a charge and just throw you in this prison, and then they'd take you out, and they called it convict leasing. And you'd get leased out to work in the sugar fields and work like a slave and treat you like a slave. And then when you died or got sick, they'd just, you know, I assume you get sick first, they'd just bury you there, and there's no markers or records. It was almost like government murder in some ways. You know, it was really, really horrible, and I thought... Man, that is clearly over the line, right, of, of hate. And I think hate is sort of the root of, of killing, if you think about it. I mean, there's accidental and all that, but when you plan to hurt somebody, you've got to scare yourself a little bit and go, why? Why do I want to hurt that person bad? We really ought to be praying for their souls. We really ought to be trying to, to get them to come back to the righteous way of life, and instead we're ready to give up them and see them punished kind of deal. So just I'm going to do the verse, first two verses, not all five. In the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of His appearing and His kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Let's pray. Lord, help us to understand how it is that we can love people, not wanting to kill them, but instead to bring them back to you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I think this is important that you realize that a charge is being given to Timothy, this is what you're supposed to do. But there is no place that it says only Timothy has this charge. I think the implication is actually it's a charge for all of us. This is what we're supposed to be doing in relate to people. And you think, well, I'm not a preacher. I don't ever want to be a preacher. I've got to tell you stories about being a preacher. 
Um, I don't like the word preacher. I don't know if you guys... In the north, they don't call their pastors preachers. They call them pastors or ministers or reverends. And so when I, when I got down here and I heard people talking about preachers, I thought, that's kind of harsh, isn't it? Because isn't preaching sort of a negative word to some of you? It is to me. Preaching makes it sound like boring, not interesting, you know, tedious, you know, have to sit through it. We sing emotionally and then we just go into a coma during... during you know, you know what it's supposed to be is proclamation of the Word. It's supposed to be what the songs are trying to do too is, is the Word trying to get into your life and get into your heart. And so if you have a way of turning off the switch when the sermon starts, guys, you need to work on that because you're really not hearing God anymore. You're just hearing your feelings when you're singing. And it's like I really feel like this is your time to, like, like Ruby was saying, listen that God will speak to you in some way. Not necessarily me but God. And it's like, that's really important. So anyway, preach the word. I think when we translate it that, what it really should be is proclaim the word in everything we do. And so the message is to you non-preachers too, is that your job, Sharon, is to proclaim the word in your life, to show people what it is, to act it out, or to show them what the difference of faith is. It's like, that's all of ours. It's not dull at all, right? You could use the word tell or share or witness, you know, use any word that's more comfortable with you. But I think Preaching for me doesn't sound right because I think a brother Jed on campus is a preacher. He preaches at you, you know what I mean? It's like a harshness, a, a kind of punitive kind of deal. And I actually think that's the opposite of what the verse means. I don't think he means to go tell people they're going to hell. See how effective this is, Ben, next time you go on campus. Just sit around and you know, have a little pamphlet and go up to people and say, are you going to hell tonight if you die? You know, it's like, I don't think that works very well. You know, it's like, I do feel like every once in a while somebody responds but most of the time, it just depends. You know, most of the time, you just kind of push people away. I, don't, I question seriously whether Brother Jed brings anybody to the Lord at all, as much as he does make people think. You know, and so that's, what, that's what I heard he's supposed to be doing. But I feel like sometimes preaching the Word gets to be a problem because when you become a pastor, you have to be responsible to the Board of Elders or the Board or the District Superintendent. And so one of the great things about Methodism you may not realize in the Methodist Church, you can't fire me for what I preach. You know, if it's heresy, you could. But if it's not heresy, you just have to go, well, I disagree. But you know what? In other churches, if they don't preach just exactly what the people want, they can fire him, and in two weeks, they're gone. They can just decide they don't like that he said the wrong word. Or he said, you know how many times I make mistakes in sermons? <laughs> Virtually every sermon, something comes out incorrectly or in, you know, suggestive or some, I use the wrong word or, or whatever. And I'm like, <laughs> it's like, I, I want to hold my brain and just kind of like squeeze it a little bit to like make it behave a little bit better and just kind of flow out. You know, I could write my sermon out word for word and read it to you and it would be more perfect, but a bit wouldn't be sincere, would it? I mean, it'd be a, a different kind of thing and people don't like hearing that sort of stuff. So I got a confession here. So, okay, when I was in high school, I cussed a lot. My whole family cusses. And I had a, quite a cussy, I guess you'd call it a potty mouth, right? So I went on my first Christian canoe trip with the church. And I remember we're canoeing through this lake and having a great time. One of the best times of my life, I think. No, no anger, nobody's mad at anybody. And so we just decided that, you all probably done this in Boy Scouts, we just have decided to wreck everybody's canoe. Just sneak up on them and jump in, turn them over, right? It's part of the fun. Except we had tents and stuff in there, which was really pretty stupid. But anyway, you know, we, we were just jumping for whatever. But I remember I cussed, you know, more like, jovial cussing, not, you know, angry cussing kind of deal. And my, and my guy who was named Timothy, I remember that about him, was one of the missionary kids, and he's like, shh, Paul, shh. And I was like, what, what? It's like, we don't cuss here. And I was like, oh. 
And I realized nobody else had cussed this entire time. Now, and the reason I tell you that story, I, I don't have a big cussing problem. Ask Liz, you know, ask the staff. I only cuss at them rarely, you know. It's like, but it's like, yeah, Timmy, Tommy gets it all the time, though, but everybody else just once in a while. No, seriously, I don't cuss very much. But at the time, I was a new Christian, and I really hadn't learned self-control in that area at all, or, you know, God hadn't helped me, whatever you want to say. But my point was, they didn't reject me because I cussed. It was more like, shh, quietly. If he'd have yelled out to the group, Christians don't cuss. Or can you imagine if at the campfire at the night he said, Paul, we don't want to hear you anymore cussing out of you. You know, it's like, it would have totally gone different. If you push my buttons that way, it would just make me mad. I guess what I started thinking about is, how do we as Christians preach the gospel, share the word, proclaim the gospel, without being harsh? I mean, Christians don't live to our standards. People around us are not adult, grown-up Christians, mature. That's why we're trying to reach them. It's because they're not, you know, as, forgive me, perfect as we've become. You know what I mean? A little rough edge. What I've heard it explained in youth group is they're a little rough still. They just, you know, they got tattoos all over them and they got earrings or piercings or whatever or they cuss like a maniac. Whatever it is, we've got to love them enough and not kill them. You hear what I'm trying to say? Kill in the sense of hurt them drive them from Jesus is sort of a spiritual killing, right? The last thing I would ever want to do, and I bet you too, was drive somebody from Jesus. But sometimes when we say harsh things or judgmental things to them, we drive people away. We make it sound like all Christians. I had a preacher friend, I may have told you the story, but I couldn't remember, but I had a preacher friend that was a preacher in Indonesia. And he'd done it for years and years and he'd come back. And I, was, I got the, the blessing to just sit around when I was dating his granddaughter. But anyway, one of the... 15 in the Sunday school class. But anyway, it's like I was actually dating Cammie. But the funny part of it was I started asking about missionary. And how do you be a missionary to people that like wear grass skirts and no tops and the guys wear gourds and nothing else? You know, it's like they run around what we would conceive of very naked. Let's call it that most of the time. And they had no Christian standards at all. And they went to be a missionary and they lived among them. And you know what? The missionaries have been criticized for trying to make them American or English, you know, and put all our standards... I asked them, but it's like, how do you deal with it? They said, well, you know, we go and we do what Americans do and we don't try to, to attack the little things in their life. You know, we talk about Jesus. We share the gospel with them and the love of Christ. We're not interested whether they wear bras. It doesn't matter. You know, it's like you have to just realize that sometimes new Christians don't agree with every subject and they're not exactly the same as you. And it's like to love them spiritually, to not want to kill them, I think we've got to be able to accept people where they are and go, Ah, this is the way that life works for me. If you guys are as rebellious as me, you cannot tell somebody in our culture, you must do this, right? It just doesn't work. You know, it's like when you have children, you will learn this lesson, right? You parents, it's like there's a, there's a gentle push and then there's like try to force them and they get worse and worse and worse. And at some point you've got to back off and go, okay, think about this. You make a reasonable choice, right? That's what we're growing up to do. I feel like it's that same thing. There's a lot of things that you just have to go, I don't like this about them. It's a bad habit, but let's go talk about it later. You know, let's worry about whether they drink or cuss or smoke. You know what? Can I make a joke about Wesley? We don't smoke at Wesley. Have you all ever noticed that? And mostly Aggies don't. But every time I see young people that smoke, I'm freaked out. I don't know if you guys are, but it's just like, they smoke. Ooh, You know, it's like, but Christians smoke, guys. It's like, when we lived in Kentucky, there were so many Christians that smoked. It was, no lie, the Methodist men at, at between Sunday school and church would run outside of this church, you remember this in Harrisburg, and there'd be 20 of them standing outside smoking a cigarette or in between the services. And I'm like, that doesn't seem like Christian to me. But is it really that big a deal? 
Is that going to, are we going to drive them away and say, if you smoke, you don't belong in this church, right? Then we make up these ridiculous rules of what Christians have to be when we miss what's most important is the gospel. So this is an important part of the verse here. It says, correct, rebuke, and encourage. It does not say, eliminate somebody who sins, be around nobody who's you know, got a problem that you disagree with it, judge everybody. It doesn't say any of those things. Does It says, instead, there's a time when you should correct, which is a gentle kind of like. I would prefer this a hundred times. If you think I've done something terrible, the best thing you could do, just like those guy in the canoe, he said, shh, Paul, we don't cuss. You know, we don't do that. He didn't humiliate me in front of everybody or make a big stink about what I thought. He didn't even argue with me about the Bible and cussing, you know. It was just like, and I kind of got that message, you know, sort of stuff. I feel like there's ways to approach people. Now, rebuke is a harsher word. Rebuke means you tell the person they're doing wrong. Just flat out, you're doing wrong. Stop it. This is probably one of the most difficult ones for us. How do we decide when you can rebuke somebody and just flat out say, stop it, you're doing wrong? Then there's times in the church, so we actually have to do that. But my experience, guys, my whole ministry is it doesn't work well. We drive more people away by being harsh and rebuking them than to gently love them to Jesus. You know, it's like, this is a lesson you've got to learn. There's another word, too. The word encourage actually translates exhort in most of them. Exhort is to, like, tell them the way they should live, push them to be that way, as opposed to command them to stop. You're hearing what I'm saying, guys? This is really important in your theology. Do you honestly think you have the right to go to somebody and point out their sins? It's happened at Wesley, and I'll share this with you, that some people have gotten such huge logs in their eye, and then they decide, hmm, I think this sin is the worst sin, and I'm going to go tell that person this sin is not acceptable. You know what I mean? It's like, but they don't realize their pride sin is as big as a log. You know, it's like, this is a big Bible verse, so you really need to ponder before you judge other people. It's really about judging. There was a group here for a while that was into the, the, the gifts of the Spirit a little more, and one of the gifts that they call is called the Word of Knowledge. And what they're saying, and you'll probably run into this on campus, they're saying that God speaks to them and tells them what to tell you. So I could go to, John, can I pick on you? I could say that the Lord told me that John's beard is sinful, and I should go pluck it. You know what I mean? It's like, and, and you know what? The problem is, how do you know if it's really from the Holy Spirit or not? And this particular young lady just decided that all her criticism of people were actually from the Lord. So she should go to the people and tell everybody what their problem was. How do you think that goes over, guys? Yeah, we all know that wouldn't work. It was ridiculous. Camouflage it in Jesus. Tell everybody it's about love. Doesn't change the fact it's unloving and harsh and driving people away. I think this is what killing spiritually is. When we're trying to hurt somebody by judging them, right? And going, we don't really love you enough to like love you to the kingdom. We want to kind of point out all your faults. Does that really encourage you guys when somebody points out your faults? I mean, clearly there's a time when you need to sit down with a friend and go, help me see what I'm doing wrong. That's different than somebody just going, you do this wrong, and you do that wrong, you do that wrong. There are some parents out there that will tell you everything you're doing wrong, and I've heard stories, again, they'll, you'll go home and they'll just point out everything, and all it does is overwhelm you with anger, right? It doesn't love you into the kingdom, it doesn't chase you toward Jesus, it chases you away from Jesus, because it's almost like, well, I shouldn't even try, if you think about it. So, third part of the verse, right? With great patience and careful instruction. This is what made caught my eye. It's like what I've learned in ministry is patience with people. People grow slowly. They make mistakes. They, they sin. And if you stop loving them because they sin, there's not going to be anybody in the church anymore. You know, it's like pretty soon, but is the church for sinners or is it for people that are perfect? You know, we know the truth. 
It's for sinners, right? That's why we're here in the first place. I, I know this is a really funny illustration, but you know I worry about rhinos a lot. And I read an article this week about Sumatran rhinos, a major concern for college students. They're endangered. Sumatrans are the little rhinos, and they're in Indonesia, and they lost 70% of their population in the last 20 years. So it's almost extinct. And so they, I was reading about how they're going to restock the, the rhinos, which is, is a funny thing to me, because rhinos are not exactly what you call the sexy type. You know, I don't know if you saw a rhino, but rhinos take forever to mate and take forever to have kids. Kids? Calves? Whatever. Anyway, they, it turns out that a, a healthy female rhino, Sumatran rhino, will only have a baby maybe once three to five years. So you see the problem. How can you fix the population problem quickly when they don't make babies? It's almost you want to give them like fertility pills and get three at a time or something. To kind of, but instead, what the, sorry, but it's true. It's like, so what do you do? You patiently set up the program and you put them together and you have parties for them so they can get to know each other. I don't know, but you know, that's yeah, how it works for students, right? So why not with rhinos? But I don't, <laughs> anyway, you get them together. And, you know, they fall in love and they're going to get, no, none of those things. But anyway, my, my point is, it takes patience. It really takes patience. Do you really think people change quickly? Try, let me think about it. This helps me think about it. How hard is it for me to change? How quickly do I change? And then put that on other people. You realize, wow, even if you have a big cussing problem, it may take you to your senior year to get that under control. It might happen overnight. Or it might be you've got an anguish you've got to work on, right? And it's like it takes years and years. So I think when we have mercy on ourselves a little bit and we realize God has mercy on us, then we can turn around and say, this Christian isn't perfect, but I love them anyway, right? I'm loving him to the Lord. I, I'm not arguing for never rebuking. I'm not arguing that we should never speak. The, the scripture says, tell the truth in love. So if you really go back to your, and if you can be honest with yourself, is you're telling this person their problem out of love or judgment? or out of hurt, right, or punishment. That asks a, a big question in your life. You should stop yourself and ask some friends, if you're not sure, that it's done out of love. Because mostly, if it's not done in love, it's not going to be listened to. It's mostly going to be rejected, and, and you'll end up hurting somebody, driving them. So a lot of us have the attitude that I can do anything I please. You know, the, this is my life. It's nobody's business what I choose. But actually, in God's kingdom, if he loves other people like he loves us, when we hurt, when we spiritually kill somebody, he's concerned. Remember the Bible verse about children? Somebody keeps a child from Jesus, might as well get a rock and tie it to his leg and throw him in the water. You know, it's like, I think Jesus takes hurting people seriously. And maybe when I think about killing a person or physically hurting them, I need to go back and go, Lord, why do I have these hard feelings? Why am I so angry with this person? And try to work that through instead of harboring and holding on to him. I think it's really important to remember that we're trying to satisfy Jesus, not people. We're not playing games with popularity and who's on our clique and who I don't like so much. We're supposed to be, right, preaching the gospel to the world, proclaiming you too. You guys are proclaimers just like me. If you follow the law of love, it makes a lot of sense. But it's way too easy in the church for us to get caught on judging people instead of loving people. Way big difference. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, uh, help us to use wisdom before we approach people about corrections and rebuking. Give us, give us a sense of when we're being loving and when we're just carrying out our feelings or our, our judgment. Lord, help us be, realize that we're not perfect and we're not uh, the model Christian either. And it makes it a lot easier when you see others that way too. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.